Hey guys, welcome back to the Shakespeare series with myentertainmentworld.ca. I'm your host, Kelly Bedard. Today we're talking about Macbeth, which sort of goes without saying, one of the most popular plays in the history of the world. Uh, lots of people wanted to talk about Macbeth, but we went with Marcel Stewart. Um, he, the reason we want to talk to Marcel is that he's actually developing an idea for Macbeth right now, as seen particularly through the lens of hip-hop culture, which we thought sounded really interesting. Um, and, you know, we, we've all seen so many Macbeths. It's it's something that uh, I'm so familiar with. It's something you study in specifically in grade 10. Um, so it's been talked to death a little bit. So I thought it'd be really interesting to see it through a different lens. So I'm going to talk to Marcel, who's a Toronto actor. Um, he's in Soul Pepper Academy. He's done a ton of work in the indie scene and throughout Toronto. Um, and he was a part of the uh, My Theatre Award winning production uh, we are proud to present at the Theatre Centre a few years ago. Um, so I'm excited to talk to Marcel before we get to that. Make sure you rate and review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at MyEntWorld. Instagram, same thing. Facebook, the website is MyEntertainmentWorld.ca. That's where you'll find all of our written content as well as the whole podcast series as we work our way through 38 plays and all all the other podcast series we have going on, as well as the nominee interview series that we're getting into right now because it's award season. So be sure to tune into all that kind of stuff. Subscribe on iTunes, and I'll see you on the other side. First, I always start with a quick synopsis of the play, just so that people, everybody's on the same page, even though like we could expect most people know their basic Mackers. Um, But Wikipedia tells us that it's about a brave Scottish general named Macbeth who receives a prophecy from a trio of witches that one day he will become king of Scotland. Consumed by ambition and spurred to action by his wife, Macbeth murders King Duncan and takes the Scottish throne for himself. He's then racked with guilt and paranoia, forced to commit more and more murders to protect himself from enmity and suspicion. He soon becomes a tyrannical ruler. The bloodbath and consequential civil war swiftly take Macbeth and Lady Macbeth into the realms of madness and death. That was a much more elaborate synopsis than most of the ones we've done so far, which is uh, interesting for one of the shortest plays in the canon. Um, In general, let's start with, you have a very specific lens through which you want to talk about Macbeth, but before we get to that, let's start by getting a sense of your history with Shakespeare and this play specifically, and why okay. you want to talk about this. Sure. So um, the first play that I ever read was actually in grade nine, Julius Caesar, um, and I was struck by the poetry of the language and how it reminded me so much of like early hip hop. It's like the Brooklyn, kind of Harlem Queens hip hop from like the early 1990s that I had been so accustomed to. It was all about storytelling. Like I think of artists like Rakim and Eric B, uh, early Biggie Smalls, even Slick Rick. Um, and so I started to kind of go down a, a little wormhole of finding plays and movies and, and seeing what was of interest to me. And uh, I was also a big fan of like wizardry, witchcraft, and I came across uh, Macbeth. Uh, I think in grade 11 and a friend of mine and I, we had this ISU assignment where we had to take one of the scenes from Macbeth and put them on its feet. So uh, my friend's name was Kareem. And I remember Kareem and I, we were rehearsing at his house and his dad had a huge shop in the garage and we were rehearsing the final fight scene between Macduff and Macbeth. And Kareem went and got, he found kilts from like Valley Village. I went and found some sachets and some belts from like my mom's closet space. And we got Kareem's dad to saw and put together wooden swords for each other. 
And it was the most incredible. <laughs> we were in a portable. Uh, I was McDuff. He was McDeath, uh, Macbeth. And we had this incredible fight sequence on top of tables. We were fighting on our teacher's desk. We rolled outside of the portable into the middle of like this open space. We came back in. We ended up getting a perfect score on, um, on the assignment. And uh, I had this affinity for Macbeth since then. So that was high school. Then fast track through, I went to Brock University where I studied theater. It wasn't a conservatory program, but there were classes where we got to explore Shakespeare, not just as a reading material, but like up on his feet as like a performance text. Never Macbeth, unfortunately. Um, and it wasn't until I graduated theater school um, and I met up with a company called Shakespeare in Action. And they do a lot of theater for young audiences. And um, the first show I did with them was Romeo and Juliet. And then the following year, they decided to do a double header. So they did Romeo and Juliet and Macbeth. And I got to play one of the witches uh, as well as Malcolm in this play. And it was a, a truncated version, even though it's one of the shortest plays they found a way to make it even shorter. So we cut out characters like Hecate and a bunch of the other Thanes, and it moved really fast. And that's something that I came to appreciate about that play as well, which is kind of how fast it moved. Uh, even though I was born in the 80s, I'm still very much a product of like this microwave era. So uh, I can find that sometimes some of the Shakespeare plays that I watch do drag on a bit too long. Uh, and what I like about Macbeth is it's, it's blood, guts, gore, swords, dark witch, wizardry, black magic. Um, I hope that... I hope that's it. I hope that I hope that I hope that was clear about my my history. Um. Oh, right. So then, so that was Macbeth, and then, and then I guess maybe two or three years later, uh, there's a company in Victoria called Theater Scam, and uh, they have a summer theater festival along this massive kind of bike trail called the Galloping Goose Trail, and their festival is called Bike Ride. And I came upon a submission offer where they're looking for, for the first time ever, artists to submit, you know, short 10 minute ideas um, to, for this festival. And so a friend of mine and I were like, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, Romeo rap battled against Tybalt or if we had, you know, Othello rap battle against Macbeth? And then sure enough, we got down and started writing out um, some rap bars as these various characters. And we tried to pull plot points and character traits from each play, as well as from Shakespeare's canon. Like We tried to keep it as in the world of Shakespeare's canon as possible, um, but still, you know, making it somewhat contemporary by not sticking to like the iambic pentameter method of, of writing. And it was a huge hit. Kids loved it because we we're, you know, poking fun at each other and aficionados of Shakespeare loved it because we were staying true to the characters and the story arcs. And I had a, a teacher who was visiting from somewhere in Europe and she said, you know, would you mind if I share this with my students? They think it would be so cool. And then a light bulb came up where I thought, what if we like packaged this and kind of brought this to high schools as a way of getting students more interested uh, and excited about Shakespeare. And so I created this Shakespeare hip hop uh, program where I went around to a number of schools. It started out as just a 90 minute lecture demonstration where I found various parallels between Shakespeare and hip hop music, uh, which I can get into much later. 
Um, and, uh, and then I created this entire like cabaret where I had a, a crew of, um, underclassmen called the outcasts and a crew of upperclassmen called the blue buds. And there are about 12 characters on each side and they just went round for round against each other. Uh, and it was so much fun. <laughs> so I think that is my, my history and back background on Shakespeare. <laughs> Awesome. So you you <laughs> talked about a little bit already about this idea of getting into Macbeth through uh, this, seeing it almost through a lens of like early hip hop. Can you tell us a little bit more in detail about how this lens through which you see the actual plot of the story um, and some some of the particular ways yeah. in which that world ties to this old, you know, uh, centuries old Scottish story. Sure. So the the thing that I grew up a lot, as I mentioned on hip hop, and hip hop artists were huge fans of Scarface, the the Brian De Palma film from the eighties, starring um, Al Pacino as Tony Montana, this Cuban man who ends up in the South Beach of Miami, and he has this lust, this excuse me, ambition for power. Um, that a lot of people from disenfranchised communities or places where that are overlooked, you know, looked at as inspiration and motivation um, to get out of their own circumstances. So a lot of like artists from the early 90s had songs or album titles that referenced moments from the Scarface movie. So I was quite familiar with Scarface when Macbeth came into my life. And I was struck by like how the character of Macbeth seemed eerily similar to Tony Montana. This quest for power, this this undying uh, kind of thirst of, of ambition and wanting more, and seeing himself as bigger than what he is, and and not letting uh, the position that he has keep him within this box. He thought that he was much bigger than that, um, and and so my my. My intro to it was through, this is interesting, through Hollywood and through Hollywood's portrayal of power, which heavily influenced hip hop music. And, um, and, oh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, ah, right. So what was really, what was really potent about, about Scarface and about hip hop music was that Struggle, perseverance, and like strength, this kind of like fire within you. Um, and I just related to it because growing up in Brampton, I wasn't a big fan of like the floweriness that came with hip hop. So there's always like, you know, underground kind of hardcore rappers like DMX and Ja Rule. And they seem to speak to me on a, on a visceral level a lot more than like Will Smith did, for example. So as I was introduced to Shakespeare, what I loved about Macbeth, as opposed to, say, Romeo and Juliet at the time, was I found that Macbeth was devoid of all the flowerness. I just felt like Macbeth was always dark. There was never any light happening in the play. I felt like all of the scenery was kind of barren. It all happened within, like, castles that had no no cushions, no – it was just all concrete. I felt like there were people always watching. Um, and – it really made me appreciate not only this music that I, that I was so fond of, but that this story from oh God, 400 years ago 
still made sense today because a lot of the people I knew were still talking about how they're going to get out of the hood and they have these grand lofty plans of making it and making all this money and seeing themselves as being bigger than what they were. Um, so that, that's what was really at the heart of why I gravitated so much towards Macbeth. What are some of the ways that you think that the text uh, needs to be altered or uh, some, yeah, basically what are some of the ways that text would need to be altered in order to, or recast, interestingly, in order to make this angle work on stage in 2017? Well, funny enough, I'm actually working on something right now. And I found that um, freeing myself or freeing the text of sticking to a meter, sticking to keeping it in a um, iambic style lends itself to a more contemporary ear. I find that going into different schools, lots of young people see Shakespeare as this highbrow kind of art, as this distant entity that they don't really have any access to. Um, but the crazy thing is so many really intelligent rappers like Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole, Jay-Z, Eminem even, are packing in so much knowledge and uh, metaphors and similes within their rhymes that these young people are able to decipher and bring apart. So I think that would be the start, making it sound like everyday speak, but still keeping it in line or in tune with the world that Shakespeare had created 400 years ago. And it's one of the most popular plays in the entire canon. It's been, you know, it's perfect <laughs> constantly. There are lots of film versions. Have you ever seen a version that you felt what really connected to you that was a specific like achievement? Hmm. Oh, I saw the most recent film version with Michael Fassbender and uh, Marion Tillard. And I thought that, funny enough, I thought that it was a bit too slow. Um, and I thought that it did a great job of establishing the atmosphere and uh, the tone um, of the piece. But I felt that it moved very slow. And the thing about that play is it's like, it's, it's this inexorability. It's like, we all know, well, I guess we all don't know, but it's this feeling that like Macbeth is going to reach his end. He's moving too fast. Things are happening far too quick. And the thing about that movie is there was just a lot of time to think about what had already happened, as opposed to when, when I see the play done very well. Like I saw the Stratford version a couple of years ago, um, and it reminded me a lot of like of a, of, of a strong episode of Game of Thrones, and that it was so spectacle heavy, but within that spectacle, I still connected to the, 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 the theme of being obsessed with power and wanting something so bad that you're willing to go through anything and, and, and kill anyone in order to get it. Um, and so those two things, I guess, would be the most, the most connected versions of the play that I've seen in recent memory. But I have to say most of the versions I've seen haven't really nailed it quite well. Specifically in 2000, oh gosh, 2006, 2007, Strasbourg did a version. And I love this actor, but they chose Confiore to be Macbeth. And they took Macbeth and they placed it in post-colonial Africa. And there were just a lot of, a lot of elements to that, to that piece, not only looking at colonialism, but just the idea that Macbeth has already 
reached this high level of age that I didn't necessarily believe the ambition and the thirst within the character that is so prevalent to what keeps him going all throughout the story. Um, so I would say, yeah, the, the, the Marion Cotillard, Michael Fassbender movie, just as far as tone and atmosphere um, and like location wise, they did a great job of portraying Scotland and like the high plains and that. And then the, the most recent production of Stratford and just how heavy it was with spectacle, but then underneath it still keeping true to the stories and the themes that um, still resonate today. Now, if you were to direct a production that was specifically really literalizing this view you have of uh, seeing the play through a hip hop world, would it be set in sort of contempt the contemporary world or in the nineties? And are there particular uh, like hip hop characters, if you will, like big figure, figures <laughs> in the landscape who would you would place as specific characters and have them become the characters in the story? Or is it more of a general sense kind of world building thing? Uh, well, I, I've been struck by like what happens inside of a studio space. Uh, and I, I was like, okay, so if contemporary studio or contemporary castle in hip hop music is kind of like a studio. That's where all the big players are. That's where the gems and the gold happens. That's where the beats get laced and the verses get spit and wrapped over. So I've been, I've been curious about how to, how to put an entire play within the confines of a studio space. Um, and then as far as character wise, I'm looking at up and coming battle rappers like early Eminem, um, kind of Eminem from eight mile, if you will. Um, but like early Eminem, who's this young, scrappy, tenacious, up and coming MC who's known for his, you know, lyrical prowess and his ability to put all these metaphors and, and, and compound words together. I think of Macbeth and how he was referred to early on in the play as this vicious warrior and this dude who's able to, to slay Donald Bain and, and take, a, take apart the army. So I, I look at, I look at, Macbeth as this this young person, this young up and coming MC. But the thing about Banquo, so I, I, I've been, I decided to take Banquo and break break from the mold, I guess, and I've made Banquo into a female character because if I'm putting it in contemporary hip hop, the thing that's so maybe looked over and it kind of makes me think about this play as far as Lady Macbeth's influence on Macbeth's decision to do what he does is the fact that women are so prominent in the hip hop game. Uh, they're not, no, they're, they're no longer just people who sing on the hooks and, and uh, are like the, the beautiful women in the music videos. Um, so I, I looked at turning Banquo into this vicious, uh, loyal companion to Macbeth kind of like a partnership, a hip hop duo um, and having the two of them and see what the journey is um, of their meteoric rise together. And then how does that, how does that crumble once Macbeth gets his first taste of success? Um, as far as other characters, the character of, of Duncan, I've looked at sort of as this Shug Knight-esque kind of record label executive who is really invested in his artists and really wants to see them succeed, but also sees them within this box. And so 
the artist who wants to do more for themselves, who wants to achieve greater things, uh, can either accept what the record label has to offer or wants to do more. And that's like a common, common, common theme in hip hop music is you've got this young, you know, uh, well-to-do hip hop artist who has credibility on SoundCloud or in the streets and they get signed to a record label, but now they're beholden to the contract that they've signed. And so they either have to produce four albums in a number of years, or they've got to do the work necessary to honor the contract before they can actually do the work that they're known for doing uh, or, or that they feel identifies or speaks to themselves a lot. So, excuse me. So those would be the three prominent characters, record label executive, uh, and then the two up and coming scrappy hip hop artists. And what happens when one succeeds and one doesn't? And that's a, again, common, common thing in hip hop. I know Eminem, for example, when he started out, he had a whole posse with him and they all said that whoever makes it out will come back and get the rest of the crew. But of course, Eminem made it big with Dr. Dre and then the three of them or the two of them, excuse me, had like a four year run before Eminem came back and got the rest of his crew with him. And then it, you know, inevitably caused distress and a riff, a friction in the group and problems ensued from there. Um, yeah, so those would be the, the characters that I would focus on. With this redefined role for Banquo and Banquo, seeing really Banquo and Macbeth as something of a team and with a, specifically a female Banquo, how does Lady Macbeth and that dynamic between her and her husband factor in and how is it changed by a now redefined role for Banquo? Well, the hip hop culture is interesting too. I feel like female rappers have to prove that not only can they rap as women, but they can rap better than men. There's this un- uh, unfortunate sexist kind of bias in the hip hop community where, you know, men are the alpha and women have to submit to that. And so I'm interested in exploring what it means for Macbeth to be surrounded by women who aren't just hip hop artists. So Macbeth is attached to Lady Macbeth. Um, her name is, is Mac. Um, and Mac is, has been with Macbeth from the very beginning. They're high school sweethearts. She's seen him rap in every sort of scenario. So when he reaches and touches success, Mac comes with him. Um, and I'm, it makes me think about Kanye West. And when Kanye West first came out, his, I think it was his college sweetheart. Um, was with him from the very beginning and they became engaged and she was so proud of the person that he was. She encouraged him to, you know, not stick to one formula and to make every album its own unique story. She was there the whole way. And then she started noticing he wasn't the same Kanye that she fell in love with from the beginning. Uh, he started becoming uh, obsessed with with drugs and alcohol. He started becoming more obsessed with things, material possessions, with this idea that he was the new modern day Shakespeare, that he was this entity that was far bigger than music to the point where she didn't feel like she had a space for him anymore. So I'm interested in exploring what that means when these young men 
who have women, these ride or die chicks, as they call it, these ride or die women who are down for the cause and they're with them the whole way. And all of a sudden, this taste of success brings about more money, more women. And how do you how do you deal with those temptations? Do you deal with them in a positive way? Um, uh, and, and usually, unfortunately, it's it's not. Usually, those ride or dies get slung to the to the wayside, and and um, ladies of the week come around quite often, unfortunately. And in terms of uh, it, when you sorry, you just said ladies of the week, and the witches popped into my brain. <laughs> are you doing something along, along those lines? This idea that like the the witches are these women who sort of infiltrate yeah. their best life. That's a great question. I'm having a difficult time with not making the witches caricatures. Um, but yeah, it, there is something around having the witches seduce Macbeth, similar to how these ladies of the week seduce uh, these up and coming artists. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really hesitant to to make them too overly sexualized or to make them too buxom or, or not. Yeah, I'm not quite sure yet how they look, but I do know that they are going to be not just three women. I think they're going to represent a lot of different types of uh, seductions and temptations in Macbeth's, in this rapper's ascension to greatness. Um, and I think that's a way that I can also tackle the the black magic kind of dark element of the play by not limiting these witches to just three characters. I, I feel like they are representative of like the omnipresent um, apple in the garden of Eden kind of thing, uh, where they will be throughout Macbeth's career temptations that he either has to fight or, or he either has to uh, accept and say, you know what, this is my path. I'm going to do what I need to do to, to reach the top. Um, and how much exactly, especially when you set something in a contemporary world, I feel like it can often be a little bit difficult to integrate um, as literally as is often done with period pieces, the black magic elements of it, the fantastical mm-hmm. sides, because we want everything to be so real all the time. Yeah. How much yeah. is the magic real in your in your version versus something that's happening in his head or purposeful manipulation that's happening? So the other thing I'm interested in exploring has to do with uh, addiction. And this play is, is quite layered, but I know in, in recent years, I'll probably say within the past five to seven years, uh, addiction, pill addiction, uh, any sort of drug addiction has run rampant in hip hop. A lot of young people who have nothing all of a sudden find themselves with all this money, all this success, and there's pressure to duplicate. There's pressure to continue this success. There's pressures from the label to produce more. Um, and so anxiety is, is all over the place. There's stress. People can't sleep. And so a lot of, a lot of MCs are taking pills. Um, and I think within last week, there was a young rapper by the name of Little Peep. And uh, he died from a, a drug overdose. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested in exploring what it means for this hip hop character to maybe to either take something that allows him to calm down. But in the calming down, he has these visions and maybe within these visions, that's where these premonitions come about. And these premonitions are all within his mind. 
but then he sees these witches in reality and uh, these witches slash ladies of the week kind of confirm the premonitions that he has when he's on whatever drug that he's taking. And that's what leads him to continue on and follow through with uh, killing, destroying, uh, taking out whoever's necessary in order for him to have the crown. Uh, so right now there is no literal black magic that might change. Uh, I'm still trying to keep it as real as I can because magic is not really my domain. But we'll see after a draft or two if it's something that I need to re- re-examine and, and, and find a way to fit that into uh, the story. Mm. And one of the challenges of Macbeth is this idea of the anti-hero as protagonist. Um, so a lot of a lot of times the solution to that is people work really hard to humanize him in the beginning, often will justify in their own way the murder of Duncan. Oh, he wasn't a great leader. He, you know, Macbeth thought he was saving the country, these kind of things. But there is definitely a point in the text at which he crosses a line. He can't pull himself out from his downward spiral, no matter how well-intentioned his original his original action were how do you see this downward spiral and where do you think where does your Macbeth fall in terms of sort of the moral scale where he starts where he ends up and where that line is that he crosses so it's funny because I I was in a few productions uh, of Macbeth with uh, with Shakespeare in action and our Duncan was the most (laughs) jovial lovable person ever and so when he killed Duncan I mean, that was a big deal because everyone liked Duncan. I thought Duncan was great. So how can he do such a thing? But for me, the turning point for Macbeth, the turning point of no return, was agreeing to kill his best friend, Banquo. Um, And it makes me think, again, a lot about Scarface and Scarface's decision to kill his best friend, Manolo, on his doorstep without even hearing Manolo's side of the story. And so Macbeth is so consumed with conspiracies and and thinking that he needs to he needs to clear the path from anyone who knows what he thinks anyone who knows what he knows about the prophecy that the witches foretell in order for him to succeed and get what he needs to get and so deciding to kill his best friend as opposed to talking it out with him and being and like reasoning with him is the start of the end and then he goes about and kills Miguel's family and it's like well I mean, God, the man has no soul anymore. <laughs> but I, I think I think it's the decision to kill Mc, um, Banquo. And then around the banquet, when he's got all the things in his house and he sees Banquo's ghost, it's almost as though he doesn't see or recognize his own life. So it's like, it's like the killing of his best friend has already made his heart not fully black, but it is getting torn apart and blackened bit by bit by bit. Um, and it's, it's just really interesting to me how um, passionate and um, into each other and supportive uh, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth are at the beginning of the play. And then by the time that banquet scene happens, yeah, like I said, Macbeth is in his own space. There's nothing that Lady M can do to get him back. He's, he's gone. And it's, it's interesting that we never see her again until she's wandering the halls kind of loopy and, and uh, having nightmares about what it was that they did together. Um, so it, it, I, I would say that that would be the biggest turning point for him, the TSN turning point moment for him, killing his best friend. I'm 
And I'm really interested in this concept of Banquo and the idea of sort of sexism within the hip hop industry. Um, mm. For me, Macbeth has always been a play ultimately about toxic masculinity, the ways that Lady Macbeth's language uses questioning his masculinity to force him into action, the uh, hyper-militaristic environment. It, to me, that's sort of what it always boils down to. Um, so it's very interesting, this idea of Banquo as a female uh, counterpart who hears the same uh, prophecy and doesn't and and reacts in a different way and thus doesn't have the same level of success, uh, which is something we see all the time in uh, like modern boardroom narratives, right? There's the par- part of the wage gap issue comes down to, it's often talked about this idea of women don't, not asking for raises and not having the same ambition levels or being criticized for having same ambition. Is that something you're interested in exploring specifically with this Banquo character, this idea of like how a woman and how the, uh, gap in ambition or what is considered acceptable levels of ambition from the two different genders? Totally. That, that's a really interesting point. Um, it, it makes me think of, there, there's a, there's a, a hip hop artist right now by the name of Cardi B. Um, I don't know if you know her music, but she has a, a song called Odak Yellow. And um, in my opinion, it was probably the song of the summer. Uh, and, and Cardi B came to prominence. She was a, a stripper, I think in New York. And was on this rousy television show called Love and Hip Hop. And uh, she was dating a rapper at the time, I think. And she had such a personality and charisma about her that uh, people were drawn to her. Fans loved what she had. They were following her on Instagram and Twitter. And eventually a record label uh, decided to sign her. And she dropped this song. She has no real excuse me, uh, rapping or MC experience, but she's got this charisma and she has this personality and she, she speaks from a place that, that says, if you want something, you can get it. And she, she always tosses her middle finger up to the man and is like, they're going to try and tell us what we can and can't do, but they can't do what we can do. Uh, and it's, it's so, it's so like, it's so powerful and strong but she also comes from this lowbrow, um, you know, kind of disenfranchised community. So it's looked down upon, unfortunately, because she's a woman, because she doesn't have the credibility, because she's not a, a true MC. So all these labels and attacks against her. But what they can't do is they can't deny her raw ability. And that's what it's all about. It's about having raw talent. The first MCs were like, able to just move a party. So if you're able to stand in front of a group of people and get them moving, then why can't you sit at the same table that all these other men and male MCs can sit at? So I definitely think that's something worth exploring in this piece. Um, And I thank you for bringing that up because I never really uh, thought of that in that succinct way before. One of the other characters that I'm kind of fascinated by, and I'm really interested to hear how he would fit into this world that you've built, um, is mm-hmm. Malcolm is always confounded me. You know, he, he mm. runs off, af- you know, in act two after the murders, disappears for a lot of play, and then he comes back in act four, puts McDuff through the, that very, very strange scene where he's like lying to him and <sighs> testing him somehow. And he comes back, he takes the throne, and... I don't know that I feel super secure with him on the throne. Like this isn't going to happen again. And certainly in the 1971 film version, we see Donald Bain go back to the witches and it's sort of got that cyclical element of like, and here we go again. Um, Mm. How do you feel about Malcolm and him as the new ruler? 
So in in this piece that I have, Malcolm, whose name is X, is the son of uh, the record executive. And he's next in line to be the new star. He's next in line to be the new Drake, for example. And so what happens is the record label decides to set up this tour. Um, I don't know where an exactly the tour will be, but X is the headline of the tour and Macbeth is kind of the opener for it. And what happens is throughout the tour, Macbeth realizes that X doesn't really have what it takes to be the headlining guy. Macbeth thinks that he's so much better than him. Um, and so what I'm interested in exploring fully, which you touched upon, is that, yeah, I think Malcolm is <laughs> Malcolm is kind of, um, I don't want to say full of himself, but I don't think he's ready for the task at hand. And I think... <laughs> I think that that shows not only in the scene with him and uh, and Macduff, but also at the end of the play. Uh, I, I get no sense that Malcolm has any presence in the taking over of of Macbeth. Like I think that he is someone who is able to plant people in place, but he's not actually a great leader. He's not actually. I don't see any qualities in him that say this guy is someone that Scotland can rest their laurels on and know that he will bring them uh, 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 to prominence. So I want to show that this X character, this Malcolm X character, is uh, is set up to be the next in line, but isn't ready for it. The shoes are too big for him to fill. Um, and and it's it's interesting that we're in this time where we've got a guy who's running the free world right now, whose shoes are probably too big to fill, but he, he is out to prove everyone wrong. And this is, I think this is the result of what can happen when someone who is not good enough for the job is still in the job trying to prove that he deserves the job. Um, and so I, I want to, I want to touch on that a bit with this Malcolm character in my play by showing that it's not easy to have the throne. We all think that we can grab it. We all think that we can, uh, uh, we all think about what it would be like if we had the throne. It's a lot different when you actually are sitting in it. So in a really technical sense about this particular production that you're working on, do what point in the development process are you actually at? And do you have any collaborators nailed down or a sort of production schedule or anything? So I'm working with um, a producer slash playwright named Mickey Rodriguez. Uh, and Mickey and I have written the first 10 pages of this piece. And we've sub submitted it along with a bunch of other material to um, a bunch of like the, uh, the TOC, the A8, Ontario Arts Council grants, uh, Toronto Arts Council, Canada Council. Uh, and we're requesting some funding along through with Shakespeare in action to put this piece together and eventually have a workshop in place, like a workshop reading in place by next summer and then a full scope production by the summer of 2019. Um, so awesome. the thing right now is we're just writing, we're putting together pieces. What we've been doing is writing out the play in like uh, shortened story versions and then taking those versions and making them into modern contemporary versions and then taking those versions and being like, okay, how do we turn this now into rhyming couplets or rap bars? It's quite laborious and uh, a bit exhausting, 
but um, seeing the fruits of the labors of a production like Hamilton has kind of motivated me to just keep on going and to know that no one else is really doing anything like this. Um, and that I think there is a demand, like his stories are so universal. Um, it's just a matter of making them accessible to everyone. Uh, and I, I think this is a way of tapping into that. So I always end all of these episodes with the same question, but before we get there, do you have anything else that you want to say about Macbeth? Um, I had a rap that I would love to share if you'd be interested in hearing it. So this will be the intro to my piece that I'm working on. So it begins. <clears throat> what is the price y'all pay for power? Respect, admiration, and to be showered with praise. These days it's hard to explain if you ain't never had a golden ticket written in your name. On the rise to the top, many drop. Don't forget, in order to survive, gotta learn to live with regrets. Like Edith Piet, every dumb thing you do in this life comes back around to haunt you with stress. Yes, life was blessed for my main man, Mac. Move way down east, call him main man, Mac. Heart of a lion, call him main man, Mac. He had the major key, that's why he main man, Mac. Uh, this tale is about his ultimate demise. A falsity alchemist turning truth into lies. Bloody in Caesar with the focus of Brutus' eyes. His lady can't stop, she died from suicide. I won't spend a lot of time, see? Talking about this dead butcher and his wifey. Losers live in the past, thinking of what might be. I'm trying to aspire to do the right thing, Spike Lee. Sheesh. Strap yourselves in. The wolf of the throne of blood will begin. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, little, that's a little excerpt from the piece that I'm working on. Um, any, any final things about Macbeth? It's, it's a... Oh, oh. I didn't even get to talk about like the the, the crazy uh, uh, the the death and conspiracy around the story of Macbeth, like the the the, the haunting prophecy that all the actors in the theater world believe in that if you say the name Macbeth in the theater, you gotta move outside and twirl around. I never believed in it. I never believed in it. I thought that it was a crock of garbage. And then I remember the first, the first ever play of Macbeth that I did, uh, uh, our director took out a, a Bible and we read one of the Psalms from the play. And one of the actors said that was the wrong Psalm to read and actually ended up cursing us in the long run. And we had a big joke about it. And I was like, guys, Come on, this play has been, you know, written 400 years ago. We're fine. And sure enough, our very first preview, we brought in a bunch of children from a, uh, a, a boarding school. And they're sitting front row. Beth McDuff had their big fight sequence at the end of the play. They've been working on it for like a good month and a half. And uh, Macbeth did this role. Macduff came down on him with his sword. Macbeth blocked it. And somehow... Macbeth's head like jerked back and the rest of us were on stage holding sticks, kind of chanting. And we saw Macbeth kind of move back and then he dodged out of the way. And when he moved his head, we saw this like red thing kind of <laughs> drip away from his forehead. And someone tapped me beside me was like, does he have a blood caps on his face? And we weren't sure. And then sure enough, they, they kept on fighting and we noticed the kids were like leaning forward in their chairs, getting really excited too. And Macbeth turned and faced us and his entire face was covered in blood. And so they kept the fight going. Our Macbeth at the time, his name was Paul Kitt. 
he was a consummate professional. Um, he ended up getting impaled with his sword and he fell on his throne and he got the sword sticking out of his belly and his whole face was covered in blood and all these 12 year old boys were on their feet cheering and yelling. Um, and the, the rest of us on stage had no idea if it was real or fake or whatnot. And the curtains came down. One of the assistant stage manager came and picked up Macbeth and they brought him, they called an ambulance and they rushed him to the hospital. So he wasn't even there to do curtain call with us. And we found out that uh, the force of Macduff's blade on Macbeth's made him pierce his own forehead with his sword. Even though it was a blunt sword, it was still sharp enough to pierce his forehead. He needed 12 stitches on that bad boy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess the curse is pretty real. <laughs> and that, that's it. <laughs> uh, that's insane. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty, pretty wild. Yeah, pretty wild. the final question I always end these with is what, I mean, it's slightly different for each play, but what is Macbeth about? Ooh. Um, Macbeth to me is the quest is about the quest for power. It's about the idea of wanting more, um, not limiting yourself or putting yourself inside of a box. Um, it's about perseverance and it's about a man who ultimately chose destiny over family, over the everyday life, over friends. Um, he was consumed with fulfilling what he believed was his he was willing to look past and look beyond um, anyone that was in front of him to stop him from getting that. It's a sad story, but it's one that I know all too well. Okay. So do you have anything else that you want to plug, social media, any upcoming projects, anything like that that you want to talk about? Oh, yeah, social media. You can find me on Twitter at, at Marcy Stews or on Instagram at Marcy, the number two, Hollywood at Marcy to Hollywood. Okay. Thanks so much, Marcel. Thanks, Kelly. So that's our episode for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to search My Entertainment World in your podcast catcher to get the entire Shakespeare series as we work our way towards all 38 plays. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, all that jazz. MyEntertainmentWorld.ca is the website. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you next time.